Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Last week, I was scrolling through my phone and a highlight video popped up. It reminded me that this year I missed my favorite sporting event of the year, the Masters. You might not think that I like golf based on my quarantine haircut, but I do love some golf. It's a video of Tiger Woods winning last year, and then he immediately walks off the green and he goes and hugs his son. The next clip was Tiger Woods winning his first ever Masters 23 years ago and immediately walking over to his father and receiving a big bear hug. And there I was, and I just started crying, real tears streaming down my face. And my immediate thought was, what is going on, man? Chill out. What if Judah or Silas sees you? Or even worse, what if your wife, Lalia, finds you crying in the corner about some golfer? But then I thought, you know what? Maybe I need a good cry. Just let it flow. And so I just cried myself a little bit. And honestly, I kind of feel like I want to cry right now, too. Look, this is what I'm seeing right now. This is an empty sanctuary It's filled with lights and cameras and just a handful of people in masks. This is not the way that church is supposed to look. It's not the way church is supposed to be. But alas, here we are, and we're making the most of it. That's what we're trained to do, right? We're told to make the most of it. We're told to just keep on moving forward. But what happens in life when it's just too much to handle? What happens when it's a struggle to even get out of bed in the morning? And what happens when even our favorite people and things no longer bring us joy? These deep, dark feelings which we are sometimes trained to ignore or to bury are expressed over and over in Scripture. We read about human anguish throughout the pages of the Bible, But for me, the Psalms of Lament are where I most often turn to in seasons of despair. And so this morning, we will peer into the biblical text and consider the haunting beauty of Psalm 77. And I really need you to grab a Bible and follow along. It is vital that you have the scriptures open and we examine them together and work our way through the text. Pray with me. Lord, would you speak to us like only you can speak to us? Would you tune our ears to hear you ever so clearly? Would you turn our hearts towards you so that we might experience you fully? Jesus, may the words from my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you be magnified and glorified. Amen. We'll be reading the Psalms together piece by piece, or better yet, Selah by Selah. So if you look in your Bible at Psalm 77, there should be off to the side this little word called a Selah. And these Psalms would have often been uh, used as a song. And the word Selah is a musical 
uh, direction, which it basically means to, to take a break, to take a breath, to stop and to think. So that is what we will do this morning. When we get to a Selah in our passage, then we will stop and think on the preceding verses. So let's begin at Psalm 77, verse 1. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. All right, let's rest a while here at this powerful introduction. Don't be confused about these verses. This is not some inner prayer whispered in solitude. When he's writing, he is crying aloud to God. That's exactly what he's doing. He's saying, I cry aloud. This is raw. And it's very expressive. It's arms stretched out. It's hands clenched. It's beating the chest. Very unpresbyterian. This is why it's called a lament. It is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And there are lots more like this in the Psalms. If there's so many of them, then maybe, just maybe, God is trying to teach us something. Here's what I think God is at least in part trying to teach us. He's telling us to bring it on, to take it up with God, whatever you are feeling. The psalmist, in this case, it is Asaph who is writing, is turning to God first. He is coming to God in realness and openness. He knows from experience that God can handle it. He also knows that God wants all of him. God doesn't want the sugar-coated. God has no time for the pretend because he sees the state of our hearts anyway. So Asaph begins this psalm in a posture of vulnerability and authenticity, and we should do likewise, especially when we don't feel like it or when we have nothing nice to say. And as Psalm 77 teaches us, we should even turn to God in prayer when our souls refuse to be comforted. Look again at verse 3. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Two weeks ago, Pastor Tim gave a very helpful explanation of this word meditate. In Psalm 1, we learn that the blessed man meditates or chews on the word of God day and night. But in Psalm 77, this is a different word and a different kind of meditating that is taking place. This is more like an exasperated man trying to figure out what God is doing. And in his pondering, he becomes disheartened because life is not making sense to him at the moment. He's bewildered, he's confused, sad, and he's wanting to complain to God. What he writes next might even shock you a little. So let's pick up at verse 4. You hold my eyelids open. 
I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Let's stop and think about this. Let us seriously consider what we just read. Again, he's meditating, but this time he has some very big questions for God. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? These are the cries of a man who is examining everything. All that he once knew to be true about God is seemingly shattering all around him. He's tormented by it. He can't even sleep at night. It seems like he might even be questioning whether God has changed, as if God's character and promises were failing. But if we look closely, that is not exactly what is happening. Verse 9 is the key here. The psalmist asks, has he in anger shut up his compassion? The psalmist knows that God does not change. We do. So he's essentially asking God, why? Are you mad at me? Did I do something wrong? And here is a very important point. The psalmist expects an answer from God. He wants to know why the world is falling down all around him. And that's why I think this psalm takes a break right here to think about this and to ponder God's response. There have been times in my own life where God seemed like he had left my side. How about you? The Psalms of Lament teach us to go to the source and pour out our hearts and our concerns. But when we do so, we should ask questions and we should expect answers. Like this psalm demonstrates for us, this is not a practice in hurling insults at God or dwelling on the negative. It's like a child screaming into their father's chest that it isn't fair while being embraced by their strong and loving protector. I've had these moments in my life. I've laid awake with my mind racing and my soul in deep agony. And during those times, it was my practice to write in my journal. Let me read to you what I wrote almost 11 years ago to the day. At the top of that page, I referenced John 1.38, when two of John the Baptist's disciples come and ask Jesus, Rabbi, where are you staying? And this is what I wrote. I ask you now, Father, where are you staying? You seem to be dwelling in a place far from my soul. Nurture me back to health and to strength. 
Fill me once again with hope and a passion for your presence. Be my God and allow me to be your child. My heart cries out to you, but my flesh quiets its roars. Let my soul be silenced no longer. Where are you? Where are you staying? Have I run from you? Have I fled from, my, from your presence? If I have, I beg you to draw me back in. Show me grace. Give me peace. Be my God. Be my God. Are you there right now? Have you ever been there? Do you feel like maybe you're on the brink of being there? If so, then you're not alone. I read an article released last week that predicted that in the U.S. alone, the effects of the virus likely mean that as many as 75,000 more people will die from drug or alcohol misuse and suicide. In this year alone, they call these deaths of despair. And Time Magazine reported that last month, 70% of Americans experienced moderate to severe mental distress. But do you know what I believe? I'm beginning to think that we all are in a state of lament right now. But many of us, we aren't recognizing it or dealing with it. People are dying, no matter how you look at it, whether they are dying directly from the virus or from deaths of despair or from economic devastation. People are dying and they are suffering Can we all just agree on that? That this is hard? It is difficult for some people to admit that because we have been so unbelievably blessed in our context. Many are trying to put this situation into perspective and to look at things relatively. And that's a very helpful and good practice. But so too is allowing the full weight of what we are enduring to fall on us so that we might rely more on Jesus and turn to him in our hour of need. Nearly 400,000 people have died to date. That's almost the entire population of Monterey County dead in a couple of months. These are wartime numbers. And considering this morning is the Sunday before Memorial Day, we all know the staggering cost of human life. And many, many more will die from the virus and the effects of the virus on our livelihoods. So stop for a second with me and think about that. When all is said and done, millions of lives will have been lost, many of them never knowing Jesus. And the survivors will have to navigate a new world. We will have to relearn how to do school, work, church, friendships. And we are already in the thick of so much change at such a fast pace. So let me ask you now, what are you doing with all of these feelings when you consider the weight of this? Are you grinning and bearing it? Are you telling yourself and others to just look at the bright side or to find the silver lining? Are you telling yourself that you don't have it as bad as others? Or are you ignoring these bad feelings altogether? There's a better way. It's the way of Psalm 77. It's to take it up with God. 
We can't move on to real hope until we really lament. That is what this psalm models for us. We have seen the real lament so far in the first nine verses. Now let's look at the real hope. Verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arms, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. The psalm makes a noticeable shift right here in tone. It's as if the psalmist has lifted his eyes heavenward. He's proclaiming, I will remember all that you have done, God. You have made a way. You have created and sustained us. You have moved us and shown us your mercy through your love and abundant grace and your compassion over and over. There is none like you, God. And the reason that this works is because God is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He can be trusted because he has proven to be trustworthy in the past. So the psalmist meditates again in this third section. This is the third time he's meditated. This time, he chooses not to dwell on his current plight, but instead, he recalls the mighty deeds of God in the past. And the psalmist finishes by remembering one specific and spectacular way when God proved himself faithful. Look at verse 16. When the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This final section is a vivid and poetic remembrance of the Exodus. When God parts the Red Sea, then he delivers his enslaved people and swallowed up their enemy in pursuit of them. And this was reason enough for the psalmist to have renewed hope when he remembered it. What strikes me is that when this psalm was written, the psalmist could only refer back to the Exodus. It was a powerful reminder of God's strong hand of deliverance. But even still, verse 19 points out that God's footprints were unseen. They knew God was working on their behalf, but they never saw him. But when you and I look back, we have God's footprints. Jesus, God in the flesh, came and walked among his people and left his mark for all of eternity. We can look back and remember the cross and resurrection. 
we have the complete gospel that we can return to over and over, even when the world around us seems like it's out of control. We know that our God was willing to die for us, and therefore, we can trust him completely. Now, let me take a moment to flesh out two things for you this morning. First, I hope you have not heard me tell you that I think you should be very distraught and sorrowful. I am not telling you to be sad. Scripture teaches us to rejoice always. I'm not telling you to worry. Again, we're taught to not be anxious about anything. And I'm not telling you to fear because perfect love drives out fear. But I am telling you that if you do feel sad, worried, or fearful, take them to Jesus. Take those concerns to Jesus because he knows how you feel. In Luke 22, we get a glimpse into the suffering of Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. This is what Luke writes, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus understands. Second, I have waited until now to tell you something very important about Psalm 77. It's actually classified as a psalm of communal lament. That means it is a psalm that is best applied for a time when the people of God are in a low condition. So as you have heard the words from Scripture this morning, perhaps you are thinking, man, thank you so much, God that I'm not in a state of despair. You have your health, your job, your shelter, and your God to lead you. And I rejoice with you because Scripture calls us to rejoice with those who rejoice. But likewise, we are called to mourn with those who mourn. Let me give you a really vivid example of how this looks. I went to seminary with a guy who was constantly excited about life. He loved Jesus and surfing and having a good time. And just so happened that he signed up for a clinical pastoral training program at a local children's hospital. So he wanted to learn about becoming a chaplain. On his first day in the hospital, with no training, a young father brought in his five-year-old son The boy had a fever, but was in stable condition. In the blink of an eye, tragedy struck, and this young child died. Upon receiving the news, the father began to run up and down the hallway, screaming. And my friend, I'll never forget what he did. He joined that father running up and down the hall, screaming with him. Friends, if you are doing well, don't forget that others are struggling. Think about ways you can join them and share their burden. Do not let your blessings blind you to the brokenness around you. And for those of you who are indeed hurting right now, reach out to somebody. But even before you go to your friends, your family, your pastor, or your therapist, Go to your God and tell him how you feel. 
Ask the hard questions, the ones that you might be too afraid or ashamed to ask at church or in your small group. God has the answers. But in the spirit of this morning psalm, I want to be completely honest with you. You might not get the answer you want. Darkness can last a long time for a believing Christian. You can be doing everything right. You could be believing everything that you're supposed to be believing. And life doesn't get better. But Psalm 77 reminds us about the character of our gracious God and the good news that we proclaim. He is not our God because we put on a happy face and say all the right things. Jesus is our Savior because he points at us, at you and me, and he says, you, I want you. He claims us. And the same God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So let me end with this story. It comes from Pastor Tim Keller. One time when he was visiting a terminally ill woman in the hospital, he asked her how she was doing. He knew she was suffering unbearably and in her last moments, but she was able to muster up a genuine smile and say, it's nothing that the resurrection won't cure. Friends, there is absolutely nothing in this world that the resurrection won't cure. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a compassionate God who knows full well what, it likes, what it's like to be human. We are so thankful that we have you as our champion, as our savior. We are in awe of the way that you continue to love us even when we question you, God. But I lift up those amongst us who are suffering right now, who are in seasons of despair, God. I pray that they might turn to you, that they might know that they can trust you, with the full range of their emotions, that you're never going to leave them, that you're never going to abandon them, but instead that you are going to stick by them and you are going to sustain them, God. And I pray that you raise up those of us who are doing okay, that we might learn how to mourn with those who are mourning and maintain that peace that surpasses all understanding at the same time. Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.